0: show. Josh Elliott will fill in, in today for Vic Nazar, who will be on Canucks Central with Dan Riccio. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active. Er, sorry, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I started reading like a very old read that I've Never actually said out loud, only heard from one Satyar Shah. But find your perfect fit at kintech.net. This is the Kintech Studio. Get your text in 650, 650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or our of Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. Football heavy show today. We got James Palmer of the NFL Network going to join us in a couple minutes gonna set up the Thursday nighter tonight Bears commanders gonna look ahead to the rest of the slate week five in the NFL a few teams that hey maybe verging on like must win territory if you want to make make the playoffs we'll get into a bit of that with James Palmer coming up in a minute or so and at 3 30 Mark Scofield weekly regular on the people show will join us. Covers the NFL and F1 for SB Nation. I got Elon and Lachlan with me here. Are you looking forward, Elon, to the Thursday-nighter? Justin Fields, you getting
1: pumped? For me, any football is good football, Josh. That's fair. It's a tough matchup, but I'm also excited to see, you know, how the Bears play after that performance last week. Obviously, Fields played a lot better. He did. So maybe they can, you know, replicate that against the Commanders and... And maybe get a win tonight.
0: He did play better, but he also played the Denver Broncos. So, that'll happen. I could play decent against the Denver Broncos. I'm pretty sure. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that's a stretch. But, I I am kind of interested to see, because it feels like every week the Bears are like, oh, we're going to make these adjustments to, to figure out how to use Justin Fields properly. And then, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe you give them be- the benefit of the doubt on Sunday, but... Even then, they didn't win the game, late collapse. I don't know. That's a it's that's a really tough situation in Chicago. And I have no no idea what the read on Justin Fields is at this point anymore. I'm kind of out on him. Maybe we'll get into that with uh James Palmer and Mark Schofield as well. But the commander side. Relatively interesting too. Sam Howell has uh has had a pretty decent start. Very underrated start, is what I will say for Sam Howell in Washington. The Commanders two and two going up against the winless Chicago Bears tonight in Washington. Thursday night football. Looking forward to it. Um, I do want to get into the Broncos as well with Uh, James Palmer, and we'll do that now. James Palmer, national correspondent for the NFL Network and host of the NFL Report Show and podcast. Uh, Thanks for taking the time, James. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing well. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Thursday Night Football tonight, Commanders hosting the Bears, two teams that almost won on Sunday. Obviously, neither did. One thing that we did see was perhaps an encouraging performance from Justin Fields' were you encouraged by it or was it just the Broncos defense being the Broncos defense?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, there was a little bit of that. The Broncos defense has been one of the uh, surprises of the NFL this year, being one of the better units a year ago. And obviously are having a lot of issues. We can get into it. Just a lot of issues in terms of injuries. Key guys are slow, but in all honesty, I I do think what encouraged me about Justin Fields is is a few things. One, you saw them put him in a position to succeed. I think that's been something that has, On with this offensive staff and what they've uh, in terms of, you know, how they've handled him in their second year, really with him. And and what they've done is, you know, they were able to put him in spots where he could use some of his athleticism. I mean, for three quarters, he was the best football player on the field. I mean, I don't think anybody would have really doubted that. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the bright spot that you see that encourages Bears fans into going, there's something here. And (laughs) obviously it all fell apart, but I think it was an encouraging from from Justin Fields because you saw them change up a couple of things I wouldn't be surprised if tonight you see them let him use his legs a little bit more I think you know I, I'm not making the comparison to Carson Wentz's last year in Philadelphia but I remember talking to coaches on that staff going the guy's head was just swimming he had about a thousand voices in his head coaching him a million different ways and there's a lot of information in Justin Fields head that's kind of really what he was getting at in that you know that viral press conference he was talking about. He's thinking a lot, and he's trying to take the coaching. There's almost too much, and I think they might go back to a couple of things that made him successful, and that's letting him go out and make plays outside the pocket. I think we, we saw him do that a little bit, and I think it was an encouraging sign as a whole uh, in, in terms of a team that's a complete mess right now
0: so it feels like judgment is still kind of out on justin fields as you mentioned there are some encouraging signs but there's also signs where hey maybe this guy is, is a bit in over his head and some of that might have to do with coaching as well in general mm-hmm. how long do you give a quarterback to to figure things out before making your final judgment on them because we've seen guys have late breakouts and and, and, mm-hmm. and a big number of guys have also just flamed out like how long do you give a quarterback?
2: And obviously, I mean, you know this asking the question, right? Every situation's different. And we're seeing somebody in Juno Smith that has been written off a thousand times over having a ton of success in Seattle. I mean, more so than probably any other sport. you're fit in the system you're in and the situation you're in is maybe more important in football and that quarterback position than maybe any other position in any other sport. It's just, it's just, it can work one way, one place and really not work another. You know, it's funny because I think what's happened in all honesty, like, with the quick success we saw in Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson wins an MVP, I think in like a second year and all this stuff. I remember having this conversation a few years ago with Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager. And he was like, thank God the, the Pagula family was patient with us with Josh Allen. And thank God we were patient and we let Josh develop. And and I mean, he it took him a little longer than some of those guys mentioned, but patience he told me is something that the NFL just doesn't have and needs to learn to have. Because you're right. You look at these couple flashes from Justin Fields and go, there's something here. Then you got to really be honest with yourself about exactly what we're going to get out of this guy. It's, it's so difficult to evaluate it. I mean, right now with these rookie quarterbacks, we're seeing three of them play right now. I think the one that everybody was sure was going to be the most You know, calm and mistake-free was going to be the guy who was taking number one in Bryce Young, right? And I think we're seeing C.J. Stroud just excel by leaps and bounds right now. He's extremely comfortable. We're actually seeing Anthony Richardson play pretty well. And and right now, there's a lot going wrong for for Bryce Young. I'm not saying that any of those guys, you know, right now, four games into their careers, we know who's going to play well for the next decade or not. But we all are very quick with our judgments in the NFL. And that's why evaluating the quarterback spot is is so difficult Uh, and far Right. Sometimes it clicks and sometimes you got to say this guy's never going to get it. Um, and I think that's the hardest part, because I think Gino Smith's the best example of it, that eventually it can it can all come into play.
0: It is the people show. Josh Elliott Wolf joined by James Palmer of the NFL Network. Uh, so you're based in Denver. I wanted to get into the, the Broncos a little bit who have had uh, no shortage of headlines over the last year and a bit. What's been the main mm. issue for the Broncos this year though? Because they were a team that I think a decent amount of people had pegged as a team that could potentially overperform expectations and and obviously mm-hmm. that hasn't happened yet.
2: No, it hasn't, Josh, at all. And and that's one of the things that, you know, everybody in Denver is is sitting there scratching their head going, "Wait a minute, we had a we had a Super Bowl winning head coach come in." and this is one of three teams in the NFL that has a Super Bowl winning head coach and a Super Bowl winning quarterback. I mean, that's it. There's only three of them and he's going to fix a lot of the issues we had. And the funny part is, and I was told by the previous coaching staff, I think some of these issues are going to persist. That's what their thought was. And some of them have. And and so I think the frustration uh, with people in Denver, obviously there's the defensive side of the ball we touched on. They're just, they're just giving up points and yards uh, at an obscene amount. Um, But pre-snap issues, the procedural issues, five starts last Sunday against the Bears. You just can't you just can't do that. And, and Sean Payton coming out in training camp and in the offseason and insisting that those things would not happen under him, that it was the previous coaching staff's fault, that plays were getting in late, that it was their disorganization on the sideline that was causing Russell Wilson to have to call timeouts in first halves and, you know, not getting the play out of the huddle. All those things are happening still in Denver. And I think that's a major frustration. For a lot of people that are broncos fans i do think the positive is he has russell wilson playing exponentially better than he did a year ago and that's only four games together i mean it's got the third highest passer rating in football i think only kirk cousins is thrown for more touchdowns i mean he's playing fine those procedural things make them a middle of the road offense but he's playing better what i do think the big news this this week with the denver broncos was that they up and you know sean payton made the decision to go and release Randy Gregory, their pass rusher, who last offseason they gave $70 million to in free agency. That tells me a couple things from being in that locker room yesterday. One, Sean Payton's running this team and not George Payton, the general manager, who brought him in two years ago. And the other is Sean Payton's telling that entire locker room, I'm making the calls now, and I don't care what your contract is, I'm going to be making this team the way I want to make this team, and uh, that's the big change that actually he's talked about in Denver this week. Not than Nathaniel Hackett, the previous head coach, is coming back with the Jets.
0: Does it feel like Sean Payton has has like made his impact yet? Because you, you mentioned it, he was kind of talking a big game in in preseason and training camp about how he's going to be able to figure these things out for this team, and and like we've seen, it hasn't happened. Like, do you think Sean Payton has made his mark on the team yet? And this is just who they are, or? Are things going to continue to evolve under Peyton?
2: I think they'll continue to evolve, Josh. I really do. And I do think it's it's early. It's four games in. I think this was uh, right now what we're seeing. The cultural change that needed to happen is even greater than probably a lot of thought. I mean, this this team has been in a terrible spot since the retirement of Peyton Manning. I mean, there's been a million quarterbacks that have left. I mean, name me the guy who had a winning season since Peyton retired in 2015. I'll ask. It's Trevor Stappian, the practice squad of the Jets coming to play the Broncos uh, this coming Sunday. That's the only winning record they've had from a quarterback uh, that's been through here. And there's been a lot. I think what's happened uh, early on is that he, he realizes this is a bigger fix than he probably initially thought the team is extremely thin in terms of depth. And talent, and that happens when you give up the number of picks they did to get the quarterback, and they give up a number of picks to get their head coach, which usually doesn't happen. But they had to give up a first round pick to do that. So when you're losing that much capital, and your quarterback is making that much money, a lot of times you're up in that group. And I think you know this is why Giants fans are upset. If your quarterback's making forty million dollars a year or more, then you're hoping he makes everybody upset, probably. And that's the difficult spot the Broncos are in. Russ is, yes, playing better, um, but it's a thin roster that that is lacking some talent and lacking some depth, and that's going to take a little while to come around once they can finally start having some picks. And you saw with the Randy, they're finally trying to free up some cash as well.
0: Uh, so it's heading into week five. We've got a few teams at one and three in a Broncos are one of them, um, but for a lot of teams, it kind of feels like it might be make or break this week. Um, Out of the eight, so I'll just run through them real quick. The Patriots, Jets, Bengals, Raiders, Broncos, as we mentioned, uh, Giants, Vikings, and Cardinals. Of those eight teams sitting at one and three right now, now, do you have any confidence in any of them to go on a run at some point here and kind of claw their way back into the playoff conversation?
2: You, you would just think there's been too much sustained success over the last couple of years that the Cincinnati Bengals would not figure it out. I and mean, this has been a very extremely potent offense the last two seasons. and But the part that discourages you is, and I've done you know, some of their games early, early in this season is, I don't know if Joe Burrow's cast going to get better unless they really sit him down. And so they're, I think at a crossroads, I think this weekend will be, you know, big for them in a sense of, you know, if we go in four, do we shut him down? and let this get better and think about the long-term of, of Joe Burrow and our organization and less about the exact term of this year. That's going to be the decision that they have to make quickly and soon, probably in the next couple of weeks. Do think, like, Lou Anarum was too good of a defensive coordinator. Yes, he's lost some key pieces, and we've seen that the way the defense has played. But he's too good of a coach to not try to figure these things out. And they put up too many points the last couple of years. They couldn't break it out. They've had slow starts in the past. Um, they've started 0-2 before and made the postseason. This is different uh, because of Burrow and his lack of mobility. It's affecting the offense. You can't throw on the run. There's a lot of things that you've seen him do that well, he just can't do right now. Um, but if you had to pick one of the teams, they'd probably be your pick just because of the past success. The other one would probably be the Vikings just because a uh, division uh, that they're in um, could maybe go on a run. Um, and I'll honestly, I think that's that's probably – uh, probably about
0: it, uh James. so looking at the 49ers now shifting gears, therefore now everything's going going smooth yeah. over in San Francisco. Uh, another big week this past week for Christian McCaffrey, do you think are you are you of the mind that especially with like I know tua has been great and that there have been some standout quarterbacks, but nobody's really super excelled. Do you think he could be a very, very early front runner for m v p or at least in that conversation?
2: Hey, Josh the way to put it is he's in the, I think he completely is in the conversation. I mean, what he's been able to do thus far has been phenomenal, and you know on our on the NFL report today on our show, uh, if you want to watch it later or listen to it later, uh Brian Baldinger was on down of of why Christian is such a great for shanahan's offense, but to kind of sum up our conversation. Um, it's it's his football IQ, his understanding of space, his ability to be used in a variety of ways. I mean, he's not a traditional running back. We all know that. I mean, but he's he's essentially an a, a piece that is the equivalent of the queen. I mean, he can do anything on the field you want him to do. He can catch passes, and now everybody in San Francisco is realizing like, wow, this guy can even run between the tackles, like like a like a power back. He can do that. And I mean, what he did this past Sunday was. <laughs> Dominate a game the way they did, and literally, in in terms of offense production, I know they're physical players and and big pieces of this offense, George Kittle and Debo Samuels did absolutely nothing in the stat sheet. I mean, really, nothing at all. (laughs) And they were able to dominate that way with Brandon Ayuk and and, and Christian McCaffrey. It shows you how deep this group is and shows you how many different ways Christian can hurt you, and I think he's just – it's going to be so fun watching this game. This is game of the year already. It has a playoff feel to it in week five, which doesn't happen very often. Um, with this Cowboys Niners game, I just, he, he is in that conversation and you know what? It's kind of refreshing with the way the position has been devalued over the last season and a half to see a running back, uh, show everybody that you can be in the MVP conversation when running backs are starving for, uh, for paydays right now.
0: Hey James, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, enjoy the week and have a good one. Yeah, you too. Take care. Awesome. That is James Palmer, national correspondent for the NFL Network and host of the NFL Report show and podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at James Palmer TV. Uh, the Christian McCaffrey conversation really, really interesting because I like the last last running back we saw when MVP was obviously Adrian Peterson, very well deserved that year. But what McCaffrey's been doing this year is insane like he he has been and I know like the, the Niners have so many weapons Purdy he's really set up for su- success there but the most dangerous of them all has been Christian McCaffrey and in my eyes he is MVP right now
1: Josh it's pretty crazy just so I got the odds in front of me the current odds Josh Allen, Tua, Mahomes Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson and then McCaffrey and then a whole nother slate of quarterbacks the NFL MVP it's pretty much a quarterback award, mm-hmm. you know, and then they kind of give the offensive player of the year award to a receiver or running back. The conversation is what does McCaffrey have to do the rest of the year to earn the MVP award? It feels like, like cuz he's already had four games
0: where he's just like amazing, especially the past week. If you have him in fantasy, you are you are loving life right now. Um but like in my eyes He's been more valuable to the Niners than Josh Allen has been to the Bills so far. Then like I I think you can maybe make the argument that Tua has been more valuable to the Dolphins, but also their running game's been great, their defense has been decent. Like they haven't had many issues, and I guess you could say the same for the Niners, but it just feel it also feels like McCaffrey is head and shoulders above the other running backs in the NFL as well. And that might be the thing that separates him. Whereas like Tua, I don't know if he's head and shoulders above Josh Allen right now or Patrick Mahomes when he eventually gets going into clear Patrick Mahomes territory. And I, we did kind of see the, this conversation last year as well when it comes to a non-quarterback winning MVP like Justin Jefferson had, had an amazing year. Two years ago, it was Cooper Cup where he led the league in receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns. And he still didn't win MVP. It's just, it's a really, really uphill battle.
1: I think even if he produces a similar season, he would have to go pretty much to what Adrian Peterson did in 2012 in order to even be in the conversation. You know, any NFL fan will tell you McCaffrey is the best running back in the league. He should be in the MVP voting, you know, but the matter of fact is in the last 15 years, there's only been one running back that's won the award and it's just a quarterback driven league and they win the most valuable player definitely and I, and that's going to continue to happen i don't
0: think there's really any way to address it either unless you do the like the most important player kind of award or like you, you got to figure out a way around it but it does feel like it's always going to be a quarterback and i can't really fault it like it's unarguable It's it's sorry. It's hard to argue against quarterback being the most important position, regardless of like how good a running back is playing or how good a wide receiver is playing, because it's just you're not going to impact the game as much. It's impossible to impact the game as much unless you have such a crazy year that it's undeniable how good you are and how much you deserve to be MVP like we saw with Adrian Peterson and the other thing that has to happen as well is you need to have a down year from quarterbacks like if one quarterback has a standout year like he's winning and there's nothing you can do about it but if all quarterbacks have a good to decent year and one running back or one receiver has this record-setting year or this undeniably amazing year then they can win do you think uh do you think we see a receiver ever win it?
1: Ever's a big uh thats a, that's like, a that's big a term. I, I'll say yes. Yeah? Ever? Well, let's say let's say in the next ten years. But this is the problem: it's the receiver's doing so well and puts up amazing production and stats. Who's his quarterback? Right? Somebody's getting him the ball.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing: the quarterback it will would, always get more love. It would have to be a situation where, like just bringing it back to what we saw last year or the year before, like Matt Stafford was really good, but he was only throwing to Cooper cup. And I think it was pretty easy to see that Cooper cup was the MVP of the Rams. And maybe last year with the Vikings, like Kirk cousins isn't going to get MVP votes, but nobody's going to argue that Justin Jefferson wasn't the best receiver in the league last year. So it would have to be a situation like that too. On top of, every other quarterback in the league having a down year. And I just, I I don't know. I can't see it happen. Uh, Chris and Duncan, little early for MV, MVP talk. McCaffrey is going to get hurt anyways.
1: That's a good point.
0: <laughs> yeah, he does have to get through the year healthy. That is, a, that is a good first step. It is the People Show. Josh Elliott-Wolf here with uh, Elon Chark as well and uh, intern Lachlan along with us. Two On the other side, Mark Schofield is going to join us. Uh, SB Nation, we're going to get into all the quarterback stories tonight, this weekend, what happened in the past week, and much more that's coming up next on the People Show on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to The People Show. Josh Elliott-Wolf here with you for another 30 minutes as we lead you into Canuck Central. Today with Dan Riccio and Vic Nazar, Satyar Shah with the day off. That's why I'm here filling in for Vic. We're coming to you live from the KinTech Studio, KinTech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec Also, keep your taxes coming in, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you at Lanner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Lanner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Let's welcome in our next guest. It is Mark Schofield, covers the NFL and F1 for SB Nation. Thanks for taking the time, Mark. How are you?
3: I'm doing well, Josh. Excited to be here. Hope things are all well on your end.
0: They definitely are looking forward to tonight's Thursday-nighter. Well, like looking forward to relatively, just because it's football on a Thursday night. But it's the Bears and Commanders, so not, not the biggest sell, uh, especially at the quarterback position. So I wanted, to, I wanted to start there, and we'll start with the Bears side. On Sunday, Justin Fields finally had a good game. Was it a sign of things to come, or do we see him and the Bears go back to what they were in the first three weeks tonight?
3: I think, unfortunately, Josh, it's probably more this was a game against a historically bad defense in the Denver Broncos. If you look at DVOA, you know, which is one of the metrics that a lot of people look at, this is a historically bad Broncos defense. The worst defense in DVOA through the first four games of an NFL season since they've been tracking this statistic. Is a defense that gave up 70 points, as we know, to the Miami Dolphins just two weeks ago. And so, yes, Justin Fields did some very good things in that game for over 300 yards, which I believe, if I'm right, is the first time he's done that in his NFL career. But this was more a case of having a good game and sort of beating up against a bad defense. And this commander's defense that he's going to face tonight, they have the ability to put pressure on them. They have a very good defensive front. And as we've seen over the first two-plus years of his career, Fields is a quarterback that sometimes invites pressure, that sometimes puts himself in a situation where if he's getting sacked, sometimes it's on him. There are times when a quarterback sack is a quarterback stat because they either hold on to the ball too long or they run themselves into pressure and away from the pocket and away from protection. And that's something that Justin Fields has done throughout his career. And so while I think it was a good step for him, I also think that last week was a case of beaten up against a bad defense and he's in for a rough night tonight.
0: What do you make of that situation in Chicago because it just feels like the the coaching at least from the outside looking in it just feels like they're not leaning into what makes Justin Fields perhaps like to what Justin Fields strengths are. Do you think the coaching staff could be doing more to get more out of Fields?
3: I mean, I do, and I, I'm very sort of perplexed as to the things that they did last season, or am to say the second half of the season, when Fields started to sort of come into his own and you felt like, okay, well, it started to click for him, designed to be run elements, some of the route well concepts that they used, some of the half-field greeds that they used, they're not doing as much of that this year. Now, you know, they're sprinkling that stuff in, and they're doing a little bit more of it, and maybe last week was sort of a turn point. And I think that I just said, you know, about fields against Denver kind of ends up being wrong because they start doing more and more of that. But I do think you're right in that this coaching staff needs to do more to put it in familiar situations, to put him into situations and on designs where he had success, as we saw during the second half of the season last year. And that's the job of a coaching staff. I mean, this was the year three leap, right? We've seen it before with other young quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, where you have that third-year leap, and the hope in Chicago was that they were going to have that leap from Justin Fields, that everything that we saw down the second half of the stretch last season was going to come to fruition, and he was going to be the quarterback that they hoped they were getting when they drafted him in the first round. Now, that hasn't materialized yet. But that was the goal for this year, and maybe it still happens, but the clock is and Now, look, everybody loves mock drafts. Everybody loves the draft season. Like is what we all sort of live for. If the draft happened right now, they'd have the first two picks in the draft. Probably doesn't end up that way, but as we sit here today, that's what would happen if the draft were happening this week, and it would be hard in that world to see Chicago then say, we're going to pass on a Caleb Williams or a Drake May or whoever their favorite quarterback might be and run it back one more year with Justin Fields.
0: Uh, so on the other side of the Thursday nighter tonight, it's Sam Howell. What have you thought of his first few games? It seems like like it's been a very up-and-down year with the, the obvious low coming against the Bills, and I don't know if I really put that on him, but this past week, like I, I was very impressed with, with his performance against the Eagles, what do you think about uh, the the job Howell has done in
3: Washington? He, he's played well, and I mean, I, I think you're right to sort of take that Bills game and kind of put it to the side a little bit because he was under a ton of pressure in that game. You know, really sort of struggled in the face of it. You're going up against a Bills team that you know certainly seems to have moved on from their Week One loss against the Jets and seems to be. You know, a, a very good football team, had a uh, very much a statement win last week. And when it comes to Howell, the pocket presence was better last week against the Eagles. Certainly wasn't under as much pressure as he was in that game against the Buffalo Bills. The accuracy, the ball placement, those have all been very impressive from him so far. And I think the thing that really sort of stands out is it, the game hasn't looked too fast for him. I mean, we're really talking about a quarterback that you can make the case this is kind of his rookie year, right? He didn't really play until late last season. And so the fact that this game seems to be, you know, he seems to have the speed for it, the mental process and speed for it, that's a very good sign for him going forward. Now, there's a lot of football left to be played, obviously, but I've been extremely impressed with a quarterback now on the verge of making just, what, his sixth career start. That's a very impressive start to his career.
0: It is uh, Mark Schofield of SB Nation joining us on The People Show. Josh Elliott will filling in for Bick Nazar. So I wanted to take a look at the three main rookie quarterbacks in Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. The standout, I think, for everyone so far has been the Texans and C.J. Stroud. Do you think they've, they've found their guy? He looks very legit through a few games. What has made him so impactful so quickly?
3: Well, I, th- I think there's a big part of that that we saw in him Ohio State. You look at what he's done so far for this Texans offense. One of the things that's really sort of stood out so far from this team is yardage after the catch. I believe right now they are second in the NFL behind only the Miami Dolphins and yardage after the catch as a team. That starts with Stroud. That starts with accuracy, ball placement, Decision making. You know, I like to talk about yardage after the catch sometimes as a quarterback stat because, you know, if you throw a, a, an eight yard curl route and the throw is late, that eight yard throw is an eight yard gain because, you know, you're not really putting the football where it needs to be, where it needs to be there. You look at what Shroud's doing, time and rhythm, putting the football where it needs to be, the throws where they need to be. That's yardage after the catch. That's how they're creating that. And so that accuracy, that decision-making, that was what he was at Ohio State, and that's what we're seeing right now. But we're also seeing some athleticism. We're also seeing him make some plays outside the pocket. He had a number of those plays against Jacksonville, had a couple more this week. That was one of the question marks with Shroud, But we're seeing it from him early in his career, and I agree. He's been the most impressive of the three. Part of it is what we expected: the accuracy, the decision making, the ball placement. And part of it was one of those question marks: was he going to be as athletic we saw as athletic as we saw him against Georgia in that incredible playoff game, or was that sort of a one off, an aberration? So far, he's been like that quarterback we saw against Georgia. He's had an incredible start to his career. Can set a record now for the most passes without an interception this week. You know, if all goes well for him. It's been fantastic to
0: watch. On the flip side, Bryce Young has had some issues so far, obviously missed a week as well. Um, But watching the game on Sunday, it felt like the, the Panthers were scared to go for really any big plays, even when they were trailing late in the game. Do you think the issues Bryce has had are on him, or do you think the coaching staff has an equal or even bigger part to play in that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that it looks as if the organization wants to address is getting him a wide receiver. Now, the jokes sort of write themselves. Well, imagine if he had D.J. Moore, but they traded D.J. Moore as a way to get Bryce Yard, and now they have to figure out, you know, getting him that top flight receiver. Adam Thielen at this point in his career is not that player. It's a very good complementary receiver at this point in his career where he's not going to be your wide receiver one type of player. There's been some rumbling that maybe a Jerry Judy trade could be in the works, but he certainly needs, Bryce Young needs that type of player. That's one part of it. I think another part is they need to open up the playbook just a little bit more for him. If you look at his passing chart, his spray chart from last week, he had eight throws to the same exact spot. It looked as if they're sort of you know, check against pressure, check against run looks that they didn't want to run into was just a simple wide receiver screen to the right behind the line of scrimmage. We need to expand it, give him some more stuff that he can do in that situation because eventually you run the same play eight times, you throw the same pass eight times, defense are going to catch up to that. So put a little bit more on his plate. I understand now they're probably, you know, they want to make sure they protect him from a pocket, you know, pass protection standpoint, they want to get the ball out quickly. Let him be the kind of point guard distributor that he was at Alabama. And that's fine. I understand that sentiment. But let him do more than just one or two different things. Let him spread the ball around a little bit more than they're letting him do right now. So I think there are some things that they can do with him, put more on his plate that will enable him to take that next step that he needs to take. I'm still confident he's going to get there. He's a tremendously talented quarterback, and I have faith in this coaching staff with all the years of experience they have, both in terms of coaching offenses generally and quarterback development from Frank Reich and Josh McCown on down, that they're going to do the things they need to do from a coaching standpoint to get him where he needs to be.
0: And the last of the three, Anthony Richardson. For me personally, like it's, it's kind of hard to get a read on him and, and what he can be where, where do you stand on Richardson and his outlook in Indianapolis?
3: I'm extremely excited about the future for him in Indianapolis because what you're seeing from him so far is one that, similar to the Sam Howell discussion, the game's not too fast for him. There was a concern that because of the limited starts he had at Florida that he might have to sit for an entire year. But when I watched him at Florida, when other people sort of watched him You've got the sense that, okay, he's there. He just needs more reps. Like right? the eyes were sometimes where they needed to be. Most of the time where they needed to be on route well concepts, the eyes and the feet move together. Sometimes you don't see that one's faster than the other. The game's not too fast for him. Awesome. He's in an ideal spot, right? Where Shane Steichen who was part of the group that developed Jalen Hurts from a intriguing backup to, at one point, the highest paid player in NFL history. There was that proof of concept. What we saw in Hertz year two was quarterback run game. Use him as an athlete. You know, half field reads, simplified route concepts where his eyes just had to be on one side of the side of the field or the other. And then year three, you saw the big year three leap. You're seeing some of those elements that they used with Hertz in his second year with Richardson now. That QB run game, some half field stuff, and it's again he, his eyes are where they need to be. He's working through reads correctly and he's such an incredible talent athletically that there are sometimes some throws that he made, some throws he made this past week in the comeback, all the, you know, they fell short. But some throws he made in that game were absolutely eye popping. And so I'm extremely excited about where Richardson is now. I think he's ahead of where many thought he was going to be. And I think he's in the absolute right environment. And just think about this now. Some of those QB run elements, some of their run game elements, now you might get Jonathan Taylor back there with him, you know some of those zone read looks where you know he's putting the football in Jonathan Taylor's belly and then decided what to do with it. That's a lot tougher to defend now when you get Jonathan Taylor next to Anthony Richardson. And so, coach could be really fun to watch here over the next couple of weeks as a result.
0: Uh, in Cincinnati, Joe Burrow is obviously he's he's had the injury issues. The Bengals have struggled in part because of that feels like a must-win for them to an extent this week. Does it make sense to like keep running them out there right now? Because it doesn't really feel like they have any other options because they got Browning as their backup. But obviously, like, w- would you be more confident in starting a 100% healthy backup or
3: starting Burrow with where he is now? At this point, I, and we actually did a piece on this today at Espedation, sort of debating the, the pros and cons here. They're in a very strange and curious position because you've got two games and then you're by. and you've got Joe Burrow who is clearly not a hundred percent. He said as much himself, and I thought what he said this week was interesting, Josh, because he talked about people were asking him, and this is something that I thought from watching him on film that you know he doesn't seem like he can get velocity on throws right now. It seems like the calf injury is sort of hampered, and from that standpoint. And he pushed back on that. He said, no, 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 the, the arm is fine. Where it really sort of, sort of shows up is I can't move as well. I can't extend plays as well. Well, that, that gets to the question of can you really protect Joe Burrow? Can he protect himself back there? And certainly sacks and, and playing under pressure has been part of his story in Cincinnati. He had the, you all know, I'll remember the nine sack game against the Titans, a game in which they won in the playoffs. But if he can't protect himself back there, that's a problem. This is the face of your franchise. This is your franchise QB. And if he's almost sort of a sit and duck back there, you don't want to keep running him out there. And at the same time, you've got two games and then the bye. You've got a game against Arizona, a game against Seattle at home. Those are games you might be able to win or at least split without Joe Burrow, and then you get the bye. It would make sense to me to sit him down right now. Let him get to 100% or as close as possible to it coming out of that bye because you get the San Francisco 49ers coming out of that bye week, and that's a game that you can't win without Joe Burrow. but you need him close to 100% to win that game. So it would be my advice if anybody wanted to listen to me in Cincinnati, sit him down for these next two weeks, sit him down through the bye week. Maybe you, get to, maybe you win these two games without him to get back to 500, and then you gut him. As close to healthy as you can for, because listen to the first four games, not just the Niners, you get the Niners, the Bills, the Texans, and the Ravens coming out of that bye week. You need Joe Burrow healthy for that. I sit him down these two weeks, use the bye week, use these three weeks to get him close to 100%, and then make the run through those next four games. And if you struggle, and then you struggle out of the bye with him, then you shut him down. You realize that, look, this season is lost. Let's take advantage of the opportunity maybe get a good draft pick out of it. But I think they have to be really smart now with Joe Burrow, given this injury.
0: Mark, we ask you every week. For week four, what was your throw of the week?
3: My favorite throw this past week, Justin Herbert, late game, had the splint on his finger, big third down. They needed a huge throw, vertical route up the left sideline. In that situation, in that environment, in that context, with that injury and everything that had to go into making that throw for Herbert to be able to deliver in that kind of moment was absolutely, absolutely impressive. There are a number of great throws there are every week, but for me, that was my favorite. All right.
0: What's your best upcoming quarterback matchup for week five?
3: Man, I mean, there are a lot of really, really fun quarterback matchups coming up this week. I mean, you start thinking about, you know, you could even make a case, hey, you know, th- this game we're going to see tonight. You know, with Justin Fields, with Sam Howell. You know, that's an interesting matchup because two young quarterbacks, obviously, you know, we're wondering about Fields and where things are going to go from there. Sam Howell has looked good, so I'm intrigued by that one. The London game, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, also a fantastic quarterback matchup. Really excited to see those two quarterbacks square off. Two very fun quarterbacks to watch. Eagles-Rams. Matthew Stafford is playing extremely well. We talked about Anthony Richardson in that game that the Colts lost, but Stafford won that game and he was banged up. Looked like he might have to come out with a hip injury, but he's been playing extremely good football. Jalen Hurts is fun to watch. And so those are some of the QB matchups I'm excited about this week.
0: Looking forward to it, Mark. Really appreciate you taking the time and uh, enjoy the week.
3: Thanks so much, Josh. Enjoy the games this weekend.
0: Thank you. That is Mark Schofield. SB Nation, you can follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. I uh, did want to pass some some sad news along as well. Uh, the Chicago Bears tweeting out recently a uh, statement that the Buckkiss family, um, Dick Buckkiss confirms that football and entertainment legend Dick Buckkiss died peacefully in his sleep overnight at home in Malibu. He was 80 years old. I uh, did see a couple texts regarding that as well. So rest in peace to Dick Buttkiss. It is the People Show. Josh Elliott will filling in for Bick Nazar today. Get your text in, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Bick will be with Dan Riccio coming up in about 10 minutes, but we're still here with you for a few more, so I wanted to squeeze in some Canucks talk here. Um, Last night, preseason game in Abbotsford, a riveting game in Abbotsford. 2-1 Seattle Kraken win. Seattle, I think, had like seven shots. I don't remember what the actual shot count one was, but it was very low through a couple of periods. I do know that um tough tough game in Abbotsford if you were uh, out there watching, but do you have any concerns about the Canucks not treating their final three home games as a full-on dress rehearsal? And we we know Rick Tocchet said, "Hey, games 4 and 6 of the preseason are the ones we're really going to hone in on and have more of a starting roster in. And we saw that in game four, obviously got away with the win. Um, And we're probably going to see that tomorrow as the Canucks are back at Rogers arena. But here's my thing with this is yes, you probably should treat the final three games as full-on dress rehearsals, especially if you're a team in the Canucks position where, hey, these last couple years have started pretty bad and that carries on into the rest of the year, and then it's just a mess. But realistically, if we're looking at how momentum works, I don't know how much momentum you can carry from three games into a four-day break before the regular season. And, like, so even if they had come out and they had won these all three games on home ice, and obviously the Abbotsford Abbotsford one is a little bit different, I don't necessarily think that's going to translate into a good performance Wednesday, even if you had most of your starting lineup in for all three games. What I do think could happen and what I do think could translate into the regular season, though, is... If you lose like you did last night, which, hey, it wasn't a terrible loss. It was kind of a mean nothing game, whatever. But then you also lose tomorrow night in what is your final dress rehearsal. I do think bad vibes can carry into the regular season much easier than winning the final three games and going into the regular season can. So I do put some more emphasis on tomorrow's game, especially since they did end up losing... Last night, if they had won last night, maybe it's a little bit different. You can look at it as, "Hey, just getting the regulars up to speed and trying to get things ready for the regular season." But I just don't think it was. Uh, I I just worry about what would happen if they lose tomorrow. And again, realistically. I don't think preseason results are going to impact regular season results all that much. I don't really believe in the momentum when you're talking about that long of a break in between games. But maybe it is is a slight concern that they didn't win last night and they didn't treat it as a full-on dress rehearsal. Because if you had treated all three games as a dress rehearsal starting most of your starting lineup, I'm not saying you have to go all out in every single game, but most of your starting lineup and you won all three games then maybe that's just something that gives you some sort of level of decent vibes heading into the season. Whereas if you lose a couple games and you end the preseason one and five, especially again with how this team has started in the last couple of years, I could see that maybe carrying over into the season and that that's the concern for me. Um, but that's all the time we have. Not a lot of time to fully delve into that. Keep your text coming in for the six on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Connect Central is coming up next. Dan Riccio, Bick Nazar. Thank you for uh, listening to the People Show today. Thank you to Mark Schofield and James Palmer for joining us. Uh, thank you to Lachlan Intern. Thank you to Elon Producer. I've been Josh Elliott. Well, thank you to everyone listening as well. This has been the People Show on Sportsnet 650.